Welcome to Podcasts of Foes. I'm Greg Tito, host of Dragon Talk, the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. To celebrate the launch of Canaan's Tome of Foes, we worked with more than 20 of the community's favorite live play D&D podcasts to record special episodes using monsters and lore from Tome of Foes. We love highlighting the creativity of these amazing players and dungeon masters, and hopefully you will find one or two new podcasts to follow. To find out more about these groups and Canaan's Tome of Foes, head to dnd.wizards.com slash mtof or check out our live video programming on twitch.tv slash dnd. I wanted to thank Victoria Rogers from the Broadswords for organizing all these amazing adventures from the community in this podcast of foes. And to find out about the next D&D adventure, check out the Stream of Many Eyes on June 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. More information on that event can be found at dnd.wizards.com slash s-o-m-e. Have fun listening to this awesome one-shot adventure featuring monsters, stories, and lore pulled straight from Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, available in game stores on May 18th and everywhere else on May 29th. Have fun rolling dice! Hey folks, my name is Tanner, and I am the host and the GM for the Shadow of the Cabal podcast. I am going to be running an adventure that I like to call The Court of Brass. So without further ado, let's get into it. Outside the confines of time and space, there is a sumptuously decorated office. There are fine rugs and tapestries that decorate the floors and the walls, and a variety of arcane baubles that float about it. On one side of a desk, there sit four tieflings, uh, waiting for their host to arrive. So guys, let's go around the horn here and introduce yourself as a player, introduce which character you're playing, and uh, we'll get started. Dakota, why don't you start us off? Hi, I'm Dakota, and I'm playing Rose. Rose is a rather beautiful-looking tiefling of a very copper skin, with the shadows being this sort of soft pink color. They have a nice, wide-brim, foppish hat, and leaning next to the chair is a, a violin. What kind of clothing are they wearing, and um, are they? how are they sort of... You've been waiting here for quite a bit of time, so uh, what are they doing to make the time pass? Oh, I'd imagine that Rose is passing the time by speaking to the uh, fellows next to them. So, uh, who is sitting to Rose's left? Temerity. All right, uh, Amelia, please introduce yourself and your character. I am Amelia. Temerity is also a tiefling, dressed in all black clothes, boots up to probably about her knee, and a hood but not up over her head, so it's kind of just, like, around her shoulders. It kind of looks like a cowl right now, um, like, black coat. Um, and is just sitting next to Rose, um, sort of twirling a, a drumstick between her fingers, just kind of looking around, watching. Next to her is Nowhere. Ryan, please introduce yourself and introduce your character. Hi, I'm Ryan. So, Nowhere is sitting next to Temerity with his blue robes, kind of billowing out all around him his his hood is down and his face has is clearly a purple tinted skin with his eyes uh 
being completely black. And as as the group sits there, he kind of doesn't really say or do anything. He's not reacting to the rest of them much at all. He is next to Mavari. Justin, please introduce yourself and your character. Hi, yeah, I'm Justin. I'm playing Mavari. Mavari is tiefling woman of with like reddish brown skin, long black hair, and silver eyes. She has like a blue cloak on, but it's like a darker blue. And occasionally she like gets up and starts like looking around the office and like fiddling with things and then comes back and sits down before doing it again. <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs> So you guys are all tieflings. What does each of your horns look like? This is a very important question. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mavaris are straight up. Ooh, like a goat or something? Yeah, like a gazelle. Rose has very curled, intricate horns that almost quite look like a rose, in fact. Temerity's sort of, they're raised off of her head a little bit and then kind of go almost straight back. Nowhere's horns are, they're actually fairly small, maybe about three to four inches. And they kind of come out about the top of his forehead and point a little downwards. Kind of like the beast from like Beauty and the Beast? Yeah. Cool. So you guys have been waiting there for a little bit of an uncomfortable amount of time. But right as one of you is about to open your mouth and make some snide remark, there is a huge explosion of green and silver smoke and lightning in the desk in front of you. And as the smoke clears, you see a man sitting in front of you. He's a bald man. He has a very handsome, well-manicured goatee, very severe-looking thick eyebrows, and he appears to be dressed in your classic sort of wizard's robes. And you know this as the person you are here to meet, Mordenkainen himself. Without even pausing to let you react or introduce yourselves, he kind of shuffles some papers that appear into his hand that flutter from across the room, and he looks them over and he says, <clears throat> Yes, you're, um, you're the Caltrops? You're some sort of musical uh, entourage, correct? Yes. <clears throat> it is a uh, pleasure to meet you all, I'm sure. Uh, so what are your expertise? I may have a job lined up for you that may suit you, but um, what is uh, each of your adventuring expertise? Are, you are adventurers, right? You're not just musicians. Well, I am, but I, I do have other experiences. What are those experiences? Uh, Rose? Rose. I'm not allowed in certain locations for acts that may or may have not been committed. There are several nobles that would not look kindly to my return. Great. Classic adventurer. Uh, What about you, the blue one? He's pointing at nobody in particular. (laughs) (laughs) Nowhere, without breaking any gaze, looking at him, says... I have traveled far, and I have trained with many orders. My focus is on subterfuge. And then he leans back slightly. And he starts jotting down with a quill. Subterfuge? Good. Uh, And uh, you? He's looking at you, Temerity. Information and murder. Two things that make the world go around. And uh, finally, uh, you, young, uh, young lady, what is your expertise? I possess powers that most would find otherworldly. Okay, excellent. Well, I think I do have something lined up here for you. Um, How much do you know about the Blood War? The College of Lore dictates the Blood War has been going on for nearly about as long as time itself, if I recall correctly. That is correct, young Rose. The 
Blood War is an ancient war since time immemorial between the two prime evils of the Lower Plains. You see, on one hand, we have the demons, which wish to kill and destroy all of creation. And on the other hand, we have devils, which seek to dominate and enslave all creation. I am glad that they are both enemies, and the Blood War is the only reason that the Material Planes still exist. The forces of the Abyss and the Inferno have been too preoccupied with slaughtering each other over the years to present a credible threat to the created world, but that may not always be the case. And as such, I plan on sending you to the City of Brass on the Elemental Plane of Fire. Um, there we have information that a delegation of demons and a delegation of devils are meeting to discuss a truce to the Blood War to lay a concerted siege to the Material Planes. I speak in no ambiguous terms when I say this must not be allowed to happen. Do you understand? Of course. But... As adventurers, we are prone to being paid for performances. What's your price? You came recommended for being uh, somewhat <clears throat> frugal, so I expect you to put forth a frugal price. Hmm, considering the task, a favor for each of us? Uh, and he kind of, <laughs> you see him <laughs> dust off an old grimoire that looks to be about 16 inches thick, and he plops it on the table, and on the spine it reads, Favors. And he flips it open to about three quarters of the way through, and he says, Yes, uh, a favor? A uh, favor for you, or is that for the, the lot of you, the Caltrops? I mean, I could get you booking at, um, at... Celestial Plains, I think um, Sigil has a couple uh, openings in the next couple of weeks. It'd be great for exposure. Well, exposure doesn't pay. I see. And he closes the book. And you can see he, his mind kind of focuses for a moment and a quill sort of animates on the other side of the room and starts jotting down a note for him to remember. And he says, yes, a favor, a reasonable favor, though. How about that? I think that is acceptable. Do you think we're not reasonable people? Um, I mean, you brought instruments into my extra-dimensional office, so I don't really know what to expect of the four of you, but I'm sure you can get the job done. Now, back to the task. I need you to sabotage these peace talks between the demons and the devils by any means necessary. They've been slaughtering each other for generations, so there's probably plenty of bad blood between them. Um, <clears throat> no, no pun intended. Um, you should be able to find something to drive a wedge in these talks. Just dig something up and use it. We need to make sure that they're too busy killing each other instead of killing the rest of creation. Whatever you do, try to survive. Make it out of the city, and we will bring you back here for your rewards. Now, let's see. And he sort of like flips through a scroll again. Your cover will be that you are the personal band and representatives of a devil named Batul the Subjugator. Um, so you're going to be going in there, uh, assumed to be on the side of the devils, but also offering entertainment so they might not instantly murderate you when they discover your true intentions. So... Um, Given your obvious heritage, he says as he looks at the four pairs of horns amongst you, I think that would make most sense, no? Are we to assume that Batul will be there, or...? Batul does not exist, but nobody there knows that, so uh, whatever stories you make up about your patron, just make sure you keep them consistent. I understand. Oh, and uh, one last thing. Um, they're probably going to only be sending some important delegates there, which means you probably shouldn't be picking any fights with the big ones. They will annihilate you. 
Do you have any names of those who will be present? Well, I know two uh, leaders of the delegations. Um, on the side of the demons, we have Zanatha. She is an infamous Baylor. Uh, she just steer clear. And I believe I heard news that the devils were sending a pit fiend to lead their negotiations. Um, I believe his name is, oh, oh yes, Orzoth the Enslaver. They just love their titles. Uh, and he sort of jots those two things down on a note for you. So, um, any questions or are you ready to go through the portal? Now about expenses. Oh, I will give you one thing, though. I guess I have these lying around. And he opens up a small little, almost like ring box. That's like a little uh, padded wooden box. And he opens it. And there are four little purple stones, each about the size of your thumbnail. And he hands them one to each of you. And he says, uh, put this on your forehead. Just touch it to your forehead. Nowhere obeys. And as soon as you do, you can feel it sort of flicker to life in your hands. And as you let go of it, the small stone starts orbiting around your head in a slow, lazy orbit. And he says, that stops getting distracting after a while, don't worry. But what it does allow you to do is communicate telepathically with one another. The other demons there may or may not be communicating telepathically too, so just keep an eye on that. But uh, should you need a quick word between the four of you, you can each do that with these Ion stones. Thank you. They, they did say that you had the best eyebrows. Is there anything you, you need before I get you out of my office? We have a gig. Let's get out of here. All right. Door behind you. And uh, he sort of motions with his hand and the door to the office behind you opens up. And instead of being the swirling silver astral sea, it is a fiery portal that leads to a city of brass and fire and smoke. And he says, on you go. I think Mavari is like the first one out through the portal. I'll step very casually through. Rose picks up their items and heads out casually. Nowhere stops for a moment and turns back to Morden Kanan. I know what my request is. I believe this would be easiest if I had it now. He raises an eyebrow and looks up from his scroll and he says, what is it? I would like your help with uh, creating an acceptable forgery of a note from Levistus. From Levistus? To Orzoth the Enslaver. With a beckon of his hand, a couple of sheafs of paper and a quill and an ink set all sort of like accumulate themselves into a small wooden box and they levitate over to you where they are tucked under your arm. That should do. Thank you. And then nowhere walks out. Close the door behind you. So you guys are in front of the Court of Brass. Uh, it looks sort of like a Arabian domed building. Um, there's a large parapet on the very top and parapets on the side, but everything looks like it's either made of dull reddish bronze or brass, and you can see uh, smoke rising in the distance. And as you look around the estate, you can actually see that it's sort of precariously placed on a cliffside that is overlooking a seemingly endless ocean of magma. Uh, there is smoke and gas billowing up around you. The floors are searing hot underneath your feet, and it doesn't seem like there's any respite from this oppressive, humid, hot atmosphere in the Court of Brass. But you guys are all tieflings, so it probably doesn't bother you as much as it would an average human interplanar traveler, but it is still certainly uncomfortable. So um, as you guys head into the main entrance, you can see the main sort of meeting chamber is dominated by a large octagonal obsidian table. 
This tabletop is probably about chin height for all of you, probably four or five feet, and there are all sorts of otherworldly creatures milling about right now. Um, You see all sorts of minor demons and devils of all shapes and disgusting sizes, um, chittering and chattering and almost murdering each other, but you can clearly see there are glowing runes on your left and right past the great table. One says the abyss and one says the inferno and as you guys know as representatives of a devil you are probably on the inferno side so um it looks like there are people milling about almost as if a delegation is about to meet and chat but if you guys would like to do anything or scope anything out you assume that you probably have a room somewhere for the four of you uh and you'd be able to find that if you wanted to look around too so what would you guys like to do what would the caltrops like to get up to? So just to clarify real quick, the demons are the inferno and the abyss is the devil, right? The abyss are the demons. The inferno is the devils. Rose, I believe this table calls to you. Oh, nowhere. Many things call to me, but yes, I'll be just a moment. And Rose uh, saunters up to the obsidian table and says, uh, the caltrops are here. You see a smaller demon uh, sort of is about to take your your information down. It appears to have almost like a clipboard in, in hand, but it is promptly elbowed out of the way by a spiky armored elbow. Um, and what steps in front of you it looks to be uh, an average-sized human, um, sort of androgynous in its silhouette, but it appears to be completely encased in painful-looking armor. And you could see fluids oozing from the gaps in the armor. And when it speaks, their voice comes from behind a cold metal mask made of shards of the same metal in the shape of a skull. And you hear the voice say, Who do you come to represent? We are here as entertainment on behalf of Batul the Subjugator. Batul the Subjugator, I know not this devil. Who are they? Uh, Let's see. The many titles of Batul will take several hours to recite, which I think we do not necessarily have the time, but Batul has a minor area of the Inferno, very minor, but still holds some sway. You just hear a sort of low rumble of approval coming from behind that metal mask, and then it just says, I am Skenth. I am here to represent the Devil Delegation. Hello, Skenth. You have quite a lovely set of armor. It just stares at you. Um, So... Rose, you know that Skenth is a Maragon. Um, you have heard of these types of devils before, um, but why don't we f- figure out what you know about them? Sure. I have religion. Would that be applicable? Absolutely. So go ahead and make me a religion roll. I have a tent. You know that they sort of make up the foot soldiers of a lot of devilish armies. You don't think that this guy... I mean, obviously, if he's here, he's part of the delegation in some regard. You have not heard of these things being particularly fearsome, especially for people of your caliber. Oh, of course. But that's kind of all you know about them. I I skipped college that day. I believe the introductions are to begin soon. And... As you say that, you are hit by just this disgusting waft of stench, and you see something sort of float into the room. Um, It looks to be an orb 
of reeking flesh that's suspended in the air about 20 foot in diameter. And all over its surface you see faces and mouths and sores and boils cover every square inch of it. And just this sense of supernatural pestilence and disease radiates from the thing. You actually see small markings on its flesh as it looks like it's being continuously wounded and then healed over by some supernatural force or some invisible attacker. And as it sort of rumbles into view, everybody in the room covers up their face with a handkerchief and Skenth kind of elbows to you and he says, That is Yagu. He is the tactician and strategist against the opposition side. Or on the opposition side, I should say. What note and reputation does it have? Oh, Yagu? Well, I hear that uh, there's quite a rivalry between that thing and our thing, our tactician. They appear to have been at odds with one another for many generations. Oh, you don't say. Now, well, I, I don't mean to keep you too much longer. May we head in and begin to set up? I don't care. You can trip and fall and die for all I care. And Rose pats him lightly on the armor and walks past, waving for the others to come by. While all of that was happening, can I have been pacing around the room, sort of watching things and looking at people and trying to kind of watch who's interacting with whom? And Absolutely. You can go ahead and do that. Um, Go ahead and give me a perception roll or an investigation, whichever you feel like fits what you're doing better. Uh, 16. 16. So as you're walking around, you notice, um, as Yagu came in, that giant floating diseased orb, there was actually a smaller figure that came in, uh, something that's maybe a little bit smaller than man-sized, and it looks almost like a an anthropomorphic vulture, if anything, like a mix between a man and a vulture. He has sort of like a long neck and wings covered in black and blue feathers, and on its belly there is a toothy maw that appears to be sort of endlessly mumbling and licking its lips. You notice that this thing comes in with Yagu, so you assume it must be a demon of some sort, but you might not know exactly what it is. But one thing that you do note is that for being a demon, it is looking at Yagu with murderous intent, which is something that it seems to have trouble hiding. Hmm. But it appears to be sort of approaching the table as well and going to be setting up there. So to clarify, Tanner, is this like a reception room or is this where the meeting will actually take place? This is probably where the meetings are going to be taking place, yeah. And where are we supposed to set up? Rose looks casually around the room for a good spot. Uh, what would have like a good vantage, but also kind of fit where we need to set up for instruments? Um, there's actually a grand balcony above sort of the center of the hall. It's not uncommon. You've seen in like more mundane places for like instruments or like accompaniment to be played from up there. And it would offer a pretty good view and would probably be pretty quiet up there. or Other people wouldn't be able to overhear you. Rose pauses for a moment and then points upwards towards the balcony. That would do quite well. Then that is where we should go. Have you all been practicing like I've asked you to? I was very busy last week. Nowhere doesn't respond and just starts walking towards the <laughs> the balcony. Oh my. Mavari like raises her hand as she's about to answer and then turns and walks with nowhere. 
Yep, so you go up these spiral staircases that is just in an especially hot and oppressive chamber as it climbs up to the top. As you are sort of getting your instruments and things set up there and sort of are tuning and getting ready to start playing, um, what is the Caltrops's, uh, like, what's their go-to song and what does it sound like? I think it just sounds horribly cacophonous. <laughs> I mean, it, that feels like it's right for, like, like this is our target audience. I was going to say Carly Rae Jepsen. Oh, yeah. So it's just like this harsh noise rock. It's noise rock covers of Carly Rae Jepsen. Oh, yeah. Incredible. All right. So as you guys are sort of tuning your instruments and getting ready to do that, um, you hear a flutter and a flap of wings, and that vulture-like creature sort of perches up on the balcony that you're on, and you can see now it's stomach and the mouth on it are outright grumbling and it's just staring daggers and it says what are you doing here oh we're 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 the band kneel before figo hello figo it's nice to meet you kneel before figo come figo that's not necessary kneel before figo can i make a roll to maybe know what type of creature figo is Absolutely. Uh, go ahead and make me a religion roll, or if you can justify another knowledge. Not religion works for me. I got a 10. You know that Figo is a vrock. Um, they all kind of look like this, and they are sort of known to be spies and tricksters, and it doesn't surprise you why they brought one to this sort of, uh, this sort of thing. Is he a demon, a devil? He is a demon, indeed. Figo, this is not how diplomacy is handled, I think. Kneel before Figo. Okay, but we're due we're due on at eight, and it's seven fifty-nine. <sighs> and it just sort of like hisses at you almost like a swan would, and it just turns around and it, before it turns, it just completely defecates off the top of this balcony and then flies back down to sort of perch on the demon side of the table. Charming. Alright. I know that this is a trying time, but we gotta try our best. I believe in each and every one of you. I'm here for you if you need my help. And what I'm doing is I'm going to give everyone else a bardic inspiration. So you have a D8 to roll after you roll, and you add that to your your dice roll. So you can roll a D8 after a D20 roll to add to it. Awesome. So yeah, everyone make note of that. You have some inspiration from your bard here. Temerity just starts yelling, Two, three, four. <laughs> <laughs> and you all just launch into your noise rock, Carly Rae Jepsen. Excellent. So um, what are you keeping an eye out for? Are you looking for something up here, or are you just up here to play your instruments? Oh, we're definitely on the lookout for anything out of the ordinary, I'd imagine. Okay, you're in a room of demons and devils, so you're going to have to be a little bit more descriptive. Have we seen Orzoth? I know he was mentioned, but... Yeah, you have not, but you would assume that the leaders are probably going to arrive fashionably last. There are still people filing in here for the first. I'm personally trying to keep tabs more on devils than demons. Awesome. Yeah, so um, as you are sort of hearing and, and playing, you hear something sort of 
rasping and it kind of throws off your instruments a little bit and you have to sort of re-get in time and skip a measure but you see what you clearly recognize to be a chain devil rattle into the room it looks like sort of a again an androgynous form with dark sort of olive skin but it is covered in hooked barbed chains that dig into its flesh and wrap around its form concealing it and it sort of almost walks with the noise of a buzzsaw as it sort of drags its chains across the floor as it enters and everyone sort of pauses and gives it silence as it drags itself over to the devil side of the table and then takes a seat and then everyone sort of resumes their chattering yo who is this would arcana or history fit uh you could do history if you want i don't think arcana would fit but religion or history both work yeah 20 Awesome. So you recognize, obviously, that this is a chain devil. They are famed for being torturers and mutilators and sometimes used in combat, but not usually. But they're, they're kind of known to almost be um, like spy master types. Uh, you know specifically, you have heard of this one. Uh, this chain devil is known only by the name the Rattler. This creature is completely silent and mysterious, except for being able to speak telepathically. And it seems to be commanding fear and respect from the infernal delegation so you're not entirely sure what they're here for how does yagu react to the rattler entering the room you can't really tell how yagu reacts to things generally speaking and like i said it's sort of an amorphous blob of diseased body parts i mean you think that you see it react but then again you just see it sort of flatulate from some sort of orifice so you're not sure if it was that or it was reacting to something and the uh final two that appear to be approaching the table um you see what looks like an oversized orangutan uh like an eight foot tall gorilla stout muscle bound and covered in reddish fur and on its back there are these large blisters that appear to be full of some sort of gas that strains against his flesh um you recognize this as a relatively common type of demon a barlgura um you're not sure what this one is called but it appears to be good friends with um figo as the vrock the little vulture creature sort of flutters over and perches on its shoulder are the two sides staying completely away from each other are any of them interacting at all you see uh, i mean you can hear them like sort of mouthing in abyssal or infernal at one another but they don't really appear to be interacting with each other more than that they seem to be somewhat disciplined about it all which is surprising you especially on the demon side and um as you guys are playing you hear a rap at this sort of doorway um next to you who is closest to the door probably the percussion right you'd be in the back yeah probably all right, you turn around and you see what looks to be a sort of fit, lithe, attractive human male, but um, he has something a little bit different. He has very handsome horns that curl around his ears and they accent his very impressive jawline. And from the waist up, he is nude and he boasts sort of a swimmer's body he's got going on. But from the waist down, you can see that he appears to have a long, swishing tail and legs like a goat's. Oh my, I do not believe we've been introduced. And he kneels before you and he says, My name is Brenov, and you are the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And he sort of like puts his hand out as if like offering to kiss your hand. Temerity sort of raises an eyebrow. Are we in the middle of songs right now? Or are we... 
I think so. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's yeah. interrupting you in the middle. Right. She just sort of raises an eyebrow and just continues playing, just nods and says, Temerity. <clears throat> I am Brenov. It is a pleasure to make your acquaintance. And you can see his lips slightly pucker <laughs> as he uh, still has his hand extended towards yours. Do you want to make me a religion roll? Sure. Uh, 20. Um, you know that Brenov is an incubus. Um, they are devils, or at least he appears to be part of the devilish delegation that um, they exceed, obviously, at seducing and corrupting people. You know that you should absolutely not kiss an incubus. A hundred percent. That is like sort of a uh, drop dead, soul taken forever type deal. Cool. But you're not sure if that if they kiss you or if it has to be like a kiss on the lips, you're not sure, but you know that kissing is a no-no. <clears throat> and he stands up after sort of you rebuffing him and he says, are you here for the party? Or are you here to be delegates? Who are you representing? First of all, we are in the middle of a song. I don't care. <laughs> That's You've made that very clear. Would you be a deer and just wait until the set is done, please? How long will that be? Just a moment. Make me a persuasion roll to to shake this guy off to see if you can. Whoever wants to. Ooh, ten. You have bardic inspiration. Ooh, I got an eight. Eighteen. So I imagine he sort of reaches like towards your drumstick to stop you, but you just like whack him on the back of the knuckles with it as you keep in line and like you, you keep the beat off of his hand and he sort of shakes his hand as it smarts and he says, I see how it is. Well, break a leg. And he slinks out the balcony here. And as you do, as you hit your next note, you feel an overwhelming sense of doom come over you as the infernal door swings open and underneath it ducks something that looks somewhere between a reptile, a mammal, and a human. It has a huge, twisted, sadistic grin on its face. His body is covered in gray and black scales, and he has large wings on his back and stands close to 20 feet tall. He just commands the entire presence of the room as he storms over, and dragging behind him on the floor, he has a wickedly barbed morning star that appears to be eternally dripping with blood. And you recognize this, of course, as Orzoth the Enslaver. And wordlessly, he takes his place at the head of the table, and all of the devils fall in behind him, and you see Brenov the Incubus has sort of fallen in behind him too. Before anyone has time to say anything, the other door to the abyssal side explodes open in a fireball, and out through it steps a female Baylor. She is about 18 feet tall, her skin is the color of coal, and when you see her breathe, you can see glowing magma from between the plates of her flesh. She has unusually long arms, she's almost more proportioned like an ape than a person and you can see the gaze that she looks around she almost regards everything around her as if it was food at a buffet more than living creatures and she takes the head of the table on the opposite side you know this to be zanatha the balor and the leader of the abyssal delegation there is a small diminutive um, dwarf that appears to have also coal black skin and fiery hair. And he starts reading the 
uh, sort of the introductions for everybody and going through everybody and who is all present at the table. You notice him um, introduce the Barulgura, the big giant orangutan, is named Kakum. And um, he basically is starting at the peace process and starting to uh, get the agenda going. So it looks like all eyes are off you and you guys have probably at this point stopped playing politely as the the talking has started. So what would you guys like to do? All eyes are off you and you are not expected to be playing. Well, uh, we should best begin by mingling, learning what we can, and then perhaps reconvening or using the stones to share what knowledge we've learned. Is there a room that we may occupy for privacy? You have an understanding that there is a room set aside for you, yes. Rose, if you would accompany me, I have a request. Oh, but of course. All right, so Rose and Nowhere head off to the room. Um, What are Temerity and Mavari doing here? I think Temerity is sort of slinking around in between people and kind of just like listening where she can. Are you trying to be like completely stealthy and unseen or are you just trying to sort of mingle? Um, I think trying to be pretty stealthy about it. Awesome. So go ahead and get me a stealth roll, please. Um, 29. Awesome. You are a whisper. You are a ghost. So um, who are you creeping around by? So you have, on just to clarify, on the demon side, you have Zanatha, the giant Baylor. You have Yagu, who is a Sibriex, who is the rotting, floating creature. You have Figo, the Vrock, the little vulture guy. You have Kakum, the Bartlegura, the giant ape. That is the demon delegation. And on the devil's side, you have Orzoth, the enslaver, the giant pit fiend that made his entrance. You have Brenov, the incubus. You have Skenth, the Maragon, who you guys met as soon as you came in. And also there's the Rattler, that chain devil that is so enigmatic. So what are you, um, who are you snooping on, I guess? I want to snoop on Figo. Because he was looking at Yagu angrily before, right? Yeah, um, as you are in there, you see that Figo is sort of hiding behind Kakum. And you notice that he's putting Kakum in between him and the Rattler. And you can see that Figo is absentmindedly sort of rubbing at a large, wicked pink scar on his neck as he looks at the Chain Devil. And it looks like he's too preoccupied with staying out of view of this creature that he clearly finds very fearsome to be staring any daggers at the giant floating flesh orb next to him. And what is Mavari doing? I want to cast Detect Thoughts. Okay, how does that work? I can read the thoughts of certain creatures. I have to see them within 30 feet. Initially, I can read the surface thoughts, but I can probe deeper, but then they know I'm also looking. If I probe deeper, they get a wisdom save. If they fail, I get in. No problem. Sounds good. So whose surface thoughts are you going to read? Ah, that's the interesting question. So you can see that the way that like everyone is looking at one another, it's very clear that a lot of the creatures at this delegation have histories with one another. Some are giving each other stink eyes. Some are sort of smiling or like giving a slight chuckle when they look at somebody or while somebody else is talking. But, um... What are you looking for? Or I guess, who are you directing your attention at? Uh, Brenov. Brenov the Incubus, yes. Um, as you sort of scan his mind, you can um, get a sort of like proud, almost like conquest feeling from him. 
as he looks at Zanatha, the female Baylor, you think that these two may have been romantic partners in the past, maybe? Oh. Which would be a very big no-no. Um, you can also see he kind of glares at Skenth, the Maragon, um, every once in a while, and he sort of gets an icky feeling when he looks at Skenth. It's f- sort of from a similar place of, like, this was something that was once pleasurable and fun, but... This one may have ended badly, but he still looks on Zanath of quite fondly. Uh, so yeah, so I want to push in and see more. Ooh, excellent. So at this point, he gets a save, correct? Wisdom save. You need my spell save, DC? Uh, 14. But it does get a 16. So he snaps his eyes and makes eye contact with you as he detects you probing further. So now we make in- contested intelligence saves if he wants it to end. I'm going to shift my attention to Skenth. Just as, <laughs> as soon as his eyes like look over at me, I'm going to look over to avoid him like really getting in on me. Um, as you do that, you can just feel Skenth is just in eternal torment, almost like the feeling of splinters under its skin at all times. And behind the mask, you just feel nothing. Just cold and hollow. That being said, um, you can also feel some weird bad blood between Skenth and Brenov, um, the same that sort of mirroring what was before. Um, and you can also feel sort of a, a murderous intent or maybe even a plotting intent towards the Rattler. He just hates this chain beast that sat next to him. And it looks like at any time he just wants to find a way to dispose of them. Okay. And as he sort of gazes along, you can see that when his eyes get over to Kakum, the giant Barlgura, he kind of gives a little nod of almost, like, respect. Cool. So, uh, we will go and cut to Rose and Nowhere. What are you up to? So, they they enter a, a small private room. Nowhere sets down his, his wooden box that he's been carrying, and then turns to face Rose, and he says... I have had some trouble hitting a note, and I would like your help. Could you give me some pointers? I would always be happy to help you nowhere. Allow me to demonstrate. And he starts playing his horn, and then he telepathically says, In that box is a gift from Mordenkainen. It's tools to help us make a, an effective forgery of a letter. My plan was to, for you to craft a letter from Levistus to one of these people. So Levistus is one of the lords of the Nine Hells, and he's basically hated by every other devil. He, uh, in fact, was frozen by Mephistopheles, I think. Basically entombed in ice so that he, uh, trying to go against him. So he's, he's kind of hated by all of them and is known to make bargains and that sort of thing. A letter that states, your work has been good, but the scales are not yet balanced. You still owe me another task. With that letter, we could plant it on somebody and let another one of these demons or devils find it, which would cause a great deal of disturbance and mistrust amongst them. I I think your horn work needs improvements. Try and keep the note a little longer. I think I have just the thing in mind. And Rose walks over and takes a seat at the desk and opens up the box, pulling out, you know, several sheets of paper. And then on one, I imagine it's the infernal scripts of one of the nine lords of hell. They study it for a moment and then begin to 
stroke uh, the the name Yagu to the letter as per Nowhere's commentary. Okay, so who is this letter to? Who is it from? And what are you writing in it? So the letter is from Levistas to Yagu, detailing that while his service has been admirable, he still owes a great many tasks to remain. I see. So you're you're planting a letter from a devil onto a demon to make him look like he has betrayed. Yes. And I intend to see the letter to Figo's hands so that any animosity that they have is placed upon Yagu with uh, hopefully some terrible might of Kakum. Alrighty. Excellent. So go ahead and make me a forgery roll. So I have false identity as part of my background, which allows me to just make these documents having, if I have seen the font or the handwriting of the individual, I can copy it. Yeah, that's worth advantage, though, I think. So So I have a 23. Alrighty, 23. Yeah, you think you did a pretty good job. So Rose takes a moment and lets the ink dry, which more than likely was blood, and then rolls the, the scroll up and seals it with the signet of the demon lord, or devil lord, excuse me. Excellent. Alrighty, you have that in place. Um, so we cut back outside to the main court, so to speak, and the sort of people are starting to leave the tables and go their own ways. It looks like they've gotten through the formalities of the discussion, but haven't really started any peace talks quite yet. People are sort of departing or milling about with one another. Um, what would you guys like to do? Now that we've finished practice, do you think we should begin execution? I do not see any reason to wait. I will see that the the music is played, and Rose will bow and head out towards where Figo's room would be. Um, as you are heading to Figo's room, you're so, you have to sort of cross through the main hall, and you see your compatriots there. And Brenov, the incubus, makes a beeline towards you, and he says, "Oh, uh, where are you going? That's you. I, I believe you appear to be going to the wrong side. We're uh, we're on that side." And he points to where the infernal rooms are so to speak yes i i know quite where well i'm going but you know how these talks go there there are secret communications that go on from both sides and oh uh i mean i believe i should be looped into any sort of schemes of what's going on so why don't you tell me what what's going on since you insist you should know full well that well between you and me there are some eyes i won't say who that want to ensure that some of the demons are brought into line, as it were. He raises an eyebrow at you, and as you sort of like move to move past him, he sticks his arm out and sort of leans it and rests it against the wall, almost like a jock at like your locker, you know? And he makes eye contact with you and he says, tell me what's going on. Dakota, I would like you to make me a wisdom saving throw. I have a 17. Uh, okay, you feel him sort of infiltrate your mind slightly and you can feel that there's almost tendrils plucking at your brain like trying to dominate you and you get this like flash of like oh i should help him i should do whatever he says but eventually you resist it and you fight it off and he sort of looks at that look on your face and he sort of scoffs and he says fine go on do what you will all right so uh you have just brushed past brenov what are you headed to do what we could do is we could have had uh telepathically we communicated and have there be a handoff somewhere where as rose wanders through the the myriad of demons and devils they 
brush past Temerity and in the process bumps into her and in that quick bump passes along the script, the the writ, I guess would you call it? Um, go ahead and make me a sleight of hand check. Or either of you can actually make this check, whoever's better. Let me do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have ranks in it and proficiency. Could I give her advantage? Sure. So let's see. That one is a 20. That one was a 1. <laughs> um, it's a 20. Alrighty. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, you, you, uh, you make a handoff. You certainly do. Do you remember the bird that I had for that summer? I left the cage open. I had set down the, the paper and when I came to look for it, it was gone. Alrighty. So where is Temerity going? Um, is Figo still in the main room? Can I see him right now? Yeah, he appears to be chattering. He's still sitting on Kakum's shoulder, and he seems to be picking at the giant boils and scabs on his back. Right. And so the goal is to put this in his room, right? I want to go down the other hallway and see if I can kind of figure out which room would be his. Sure. Um, it doesn't take you that long. And it, Are you sneaking, like, just totally straight in the shadows, or are you just walking casually over there? I'm going to be sneaky about it, because I don't want anybody to ask why I'm over on this side. Excellent. Stealth roll. 25. Excellent. Uh, yeah, you are slipping between sunbeams here as you uh, you infiltrate to the demon side. Um, as you're poking around, um, it's not that hard to figure out where Figo's room would be, but unfortunately... It appears to be blocked from you by some barrier, which is a stinking, reeking green cloud that smells completely noxious and sticky bile and slime on it, like a snail trail on the floor. And you're going to have to get past this somehow to be able to cross to get to the far end of the hall where Figo's room is. It kind of smells like, um, like Yagu. Is Yagu around here or does it like i it looks probably like he's gone this way right correct yeah this is probably the trail he left on his way to the room um and i can't just suck it up and deal with it yeah you can okay you can just walk through it if you want to yeah i mean that's what i'm gonna do then yeah go ahead and make me a constitution save <laughs> seven as you make your way through it it immediately just like burns your nodes and lungs and eyes and fingernails and toenails and you slip and fall for a moment and you kind of plant yourself in the goop and you take 16 points of damage Ugh. as this poison just enters and wreaks havoc through your body. By the time you get to the other side of it, your veins are popping out, you're sweaty and you're clammy and you feel like you're going to vomit. But hey, you're on the other side of the thing now. Yeah, so can I find his room now? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, there is the the uh, the Vrox room, Figo's room. Uh, it looks like there's some sort of bird dung outside of it that gives it away. Yeah, uh, you try the door and it is locked with a stout brass lock in the center of the door. So I have thieves tools. Can I pick locks and things with that? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead and give me a roll. 14. Yep, you easily pop the lock open. As quickly as possible. Can I like see if there's like a table like right inside the door that I can set the note on very quickly or like just slide it like in through the door and close the door again. Yeah. If you'd like to do, so you're just like tossing the note in and then just closing the door again. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Alrighty. How are you getting back? (laughs) Are you just going to try to make your way back somewhere else through the, through the palace? Yeah, I think so. I want to kind of try and go around a different way or 
I don't know. Look, I'll crawl through vents if I have to to not go through that gunk again. <laughs> that stank again. Yeah. All right. So what would you guys like to do? It looks like there's probably going to be like a disgusting meal and then a couple hours before the meeting uh, happens again where they start discussing terms. So what would you guys like to do? Gossip. Uh, I would like to start the rumor that um, Figo, yes, Figo has plans to absurd Xanatha. <laughs> that's that is a powerful rumor uh go ahead that that is a bold move my friend so i'm going to go ahead and make me another deception roll i'm going to give you disadvantage on this though because that is like such a huge claim like people are going to be grilling about it and like asking like how do you know this and all that stuff okay so you can go ahead and do that but give, give that to me with disadvantage okay i have a 24 as my lowest roll <laughs> excellent yeah you have uh made that claim and it is certainly circling about um you see figo appears to be sort of um looking sort of nervous as he hears whispers on the wind and he disappears for some amount of time before returning to uh to his room it looks like so the sort of lunch hour so to speak has ended and the next round of delegations is to begin at this point, Brenov is actually approaching the two of you as you're heading back. And he says, oh, are you headed to the delegation? That's the plan. I think um, you might want to sit in on this one. I've heard something quite juicy. Oh, and that is? Well, let's say a little bird might get his feathers plucked. It should be good fun. I was hoping for the chicken, though. Did you get steak or chicken? Oh, honey, I'm a vegetarian. And he smiles at you and he sort of like brushes his hand over your cheek and he takes your hand in his and he says, come, let us go back to the, the main hall. Ugh. So um, you guys are sort of arranged and for the first time you actually are invited to sit at the table for the delegations um, and everybody is returning again. You see Yagu in his enormous noxious sacks of pus sort of wobble in from the room and there is a sort of slime dripping beneath him dissolving the chair underneath his giant shuddering form but um the first thing that begins you actually hear zanatha speak for the first time and she speaks with a voice that sounds like a volcanic eruption and she says before we begin it has come to my attention that there is treachery amongst my ranks and i would like you to know orzoth that i do not tolerate such treachery at a meeting of peace and at this point she draws a sword that appears out of nowhere and it just forms into the shape of a blade in her hand and she swings once and figo is immediately incinerated and annihilated in a puff of burning feathers and the last thing that you hear is just sort of a an avian squawk as he is just utterly annihilated. Zanatha continues. However, the treachery does not end there. And with another swipe, she cuts and bisects through Yagu and just this enormous rush of pus and slime breaches forth from his form and spills and splashes all over the table as he is instantly cut down and vaporized and carbonized through and his enormous stinking reeking yellow green slime slides over the table everybody make me a dexterity saving throw 17 22 18 7 <laughs> <laughs> How does everybody but Mavari get out of the way of this? 
I, I think uh, Nowhere just kind of takes a casual step onto uh, a, a solid stone bench that's next to him. Yeah, and you can see like the legs of it start to dissolve from underneath it, and it like starts to sag as his slime spreads across the table. What about everybody else? Temerity just takes like three steps to the left of where she was, and just sort of like puts her hood up so that like none of it gets in her face as it kind of explodes outward. I imagine Rose takes a moment and like leaps into the the slight like wooden chair and is balancing on one leg as the f- chair starts to catch fire. And what about Mavari? <laughs> poor, poor Mavari. I think she's like deep in thought, like, how are we going to figure out how to ruin this even more and get this to not happen? And then it just kind of washes over. <laughs> Go ahead and make me a constitution saving throw. Maybe you'll do better on this one. Uh, 12. 12. Uh, alrighty, that is not enough. Go ahead and roll me another d20 to see what mutation happens to you. <laughs> Uh, one? <laughs> um, you are overcome with the stench and the slime, and it, you are retching, and as you burp, you feel sort of a scratch in your throat, and as you burp, just a mouthful of flies drips out of your mouth, and they start buzzing in your eyes and in your nose, and every time you cough or burp or belch, you have flies coming out of you and demonic flies roosting in your lungs. Great. It's very gross, but what it lets you do is once a day, you can cast Fog Cloud as if the spell, but with your flies. Gross. So, um, now that Zanatha has slain two of her compatriots, she sits down, and you can see just this fiery aura is spreading from the gaps between her scales again, and you can see on Kakum the orange hair on his arms and back start to singe next to her, almost like it's being like microwaved away from him, and he puts his head down in subservience. And she says, Now that these treacherous distractions have been removed, we may have a more focused and productive talk just the two of us with the four of you and they immediately start to begin not really um discussing the terms of peace but they appear to be hatching immediately a war plan of an invasion of the material planes they talk about the best way to crack into greyhawk into eberron into faerun and all these other places that you've heard mentioned on Whispers of the Interplanar Winds, but you've never quite spied for yourself. It appears as though they're hatching the battle plan here and now, and the particulars of how this will work in cooperation later. So sitting next to Brenov, uh, Nowhere just tries to make it sound as if he's kind of as idly as possible, saying, they are uh, very brave to continue this delegation with so few numbers i'm trying to say this so that he overhears but not like i'm like directly saying it to yeah him. you can see his ear twitch and he sort of perks up and you can very clearly tell he's not listening to the delegation he's eavesdropping on you guys after that i kind of turn my head towards Samarity as if i'm speaking to her perhaps i am no tactician like the rattler but it seems as though now would be a very adequate time for us to overcome them with force and take out one of the demon's great generals, does it not? If it were me, again, 
I am also no tactician, but it does seem very silly to be negotiating with them when we clearly outnumber them. You can see at this point, Orzoth, he kind of casts a big, hairy, orange eye towards the four of you just for a moment, and you just feel fear and confidence and the thrill of domination in your hearts when he looks at you. But then he glances back and sort of starts listening to the delegation again. But you can be pretty confident that he is hearing you. And after a few minutes, he um, he says, There are, there are many, many things, things to, to think, think about, about so, so perhaps, perhaps we, we should, should adjourn, adjourn for the, the moment. moment. And everyone seems to agree. And as small demons start to clean up the corpses and Zanatha and Kakum walk off together, Orzoth stays at the table and he turns to the four of you and he beckons you over. Nowhere stands and approaches. Mavari does as well. Very casually walk over. Yeah, of course. I don't believe I actually know who you are. I mean, I have heard of who you are, but who are you? Rose, like, takes the wide, long-brimmed hat off and does a very intricate bow. We are here on behalf of Batul, the subjugator. We are the entertainment, the Caltrops, at your service. The Caltrops. I've never heard of you. It's a relatively new band. We're, we're performing at some venues here at the City of Brass. I think we might have a gig in Sigil if we're lucky. Ah, yes. Hmm. Are, are you, you dedicated, dedicated to, to our, our cause, or, or are, are you just, just here to be a rabble-rouser? Rabble Runs in my blood. Which, Which one? Rabble-rousing or, or subservience? Subservience, of course. We, we are here to serve. Um, everybody make me a wisdom saving throw. Uh, I rolled a 14. I rolled a 6. I rolled a 7. I rolled a 11. You guys are all struck with fear and terror as you look into his eyes. You are mechanically frightened, and you cannot help but gaze away from him and gaze down. And he says, kneel before me. Uh, Rose kneels. Mavari does too. Yep. Nowhere does as well. He kind of just stands at this point, and he doesn't give you permission to not face the dirt, but at this point you guys are all sort of doing like a nightly kneel almost, I imagine. And he stands, and you can feel the heat on your back momentarily give way as you can hear the flapping of his wings sort of stretching out in front of you. And he says, What What is is your your plan? plan? I heard you scheming over there. Orzoth, sir, um... I apologize for speaking out of turn. It was not much a plan as it was an observation. We sit across a table from one of the demon's great generals, and by my estimation, we outnumber them. It seemed that their actions in taking down their own numbers weakened them significantly. As I stated, I am no tactician, but... If we were to show strength against the demons, this would be a time to take a mighty blow against them. Is Is this this just just a scheme, scheme, or will you dedicate dedicate yourselves to helping us see this through? At the time of speaking, it was an observation. We are no longer at the time of speaking. I am asking for your allegiance in this. Is this something you would dedicate yourself to? Yes. Does this one speak for the four of you, you caltrops? We wish to be a thorn in their side. Very well. 
I like the way you think there may be room for you in my entourage. This is what we will do. I will need the four of us, not you, Brenov, Skenth, and the Rattler, to take on Zanatha. She is a force to be reckoned with. However, I believe if the four of you would be able to handle Kakum, that great orange ape, you may be of some use to us in the coming battle. If Brenov can separate him, would you be able to handle him? I am willing to strike down Kakum. Yes. Brenov will separate him, and you will strike him down. We will strike down Zanatha, and the infernal hells will reign supreme. Be gone from my sight. Alrighty, so um, Brenov has separated Kakum somehow through some scheme. Where is Kakum? Where are you guys ambushing him? I think, you know, obviously there's the big meeting room where dinner was and everything. I think there's another room that has, like, hors d'oeuvres and all that stuff. Maybe, like, a more dining hall, like, dedicated? Okay. Yeah. And so I think Kakum went there, and that's where we're, we're waiting. You guys are walking into this giant infernal dining hall. Amelia, what is one thing of interest in this dining hall? Um, there's a huge window along, um, like, almost one entire wall and you can see the ocean of magma kind of bubbling out underneath it so like you can almost feel the heat i imagine it's like a stained glass window and it like illuminates whatever is on the stained glass like this hellish image yes excellent dakota give me another thing that's in this room there's a series of four chandeliers uh down the center of the dining hall illuminating the room cool justin what's another thing that's in this room Yo, so it's a brass salamander statue that's like also a fountain, but it's a fountain of lava. That's so good. Excellent. That's awesome. And Ryan, give me one. On both sides of that that brass statue, there are these orbs that have trapped water elementals in them that are just kind of like, you can tell that they hate being in there. And so they're just moving around and trying to get out constantly. But it's like an art piece for this. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's awesome. Cool. Alrighty, and you see Kakum there with his great big gross scabbed blistery back. It almost looks like he has third degree sunburns all over his back with just these boils. But otherwise, he's this enormous gorilla-like figure. Also, as we were traveling here and we were doing our prep spells, I cast Armor of Agathis on myself, which is what I get from being descended from Levistus. So I kind of have like ice armor right now. Cool. Does it does it look like there's just like hoarfrost on your skin almost? Yeah, pretty much. He doesn't really appear to be aware that you're here. It looks like Branov probably just sent him here for something, but you're not quite sure. Is there anybody else in this room, or is it just him and us? It is just him, you, and a big bone with a big black meat on the end of it that he is munching on. All right, so what is the plan? Amelia, do you want to try to get in and get the first hit, and then we, we dive in and attack? All right, so um, what does this look like? Are, are the rest of them like staying outside of the room while Temerity sneaks in, or are you all sneaking in? What's this look like? Rose pulls a little bit of fleece out of their coat, and with a little wave of their hand, the entranceway of the, the room is about 20 feet forward, so it looks like to Kakum, the, the room is empty, but we're allowed to walk forward. He has to interact with the illusion, which gives us time to move forward without him seeing us. 
So you're having an illusion of an empty doorway? Yes. Minor illusion, which allows me to do imagery. Okay, awesome. So go ahead and give me a stealth roll then, Amelia, and everybody else can move into the room because of Dakota's clever use of the illusion. Uh, so that is 21. Nice. You are undetected. And everybody else arrays themselves around the room. So uh, what do you do? I want to sneak up behind him. I have a rapier and I just want to like stab him in the back. Excellent. Go ahead and give me an attack roll. So I believe this is a sneak attack. He is unaware. So you do have advantage on this. From my assassin archetype, it says advantage on attack rolls against creatures who have not had a turn and any surprise hit is critical. So you're rolling 66 plus 2d8 plus 3. 27. Good start. So he doesn't see me because he's too busy chowing down on, I don't even know what he's eating. Maybe whatever's left of Figo. Um, yeah, probably Figo meat. It's probably Figo meat. And he's just kind of like absently staring out the window waiting for whatever it is that Brenov told him was in here. And Temerity just sneaks up behind him and immediately just shoves her rapier right into the middle of his back. And you lance a huge boil and it spills all over your arm and you go, and he is aware of your presence. Everybody roll initiative. 17. 16. I got a 10. I rolled a one. (laughs) Temerity, Cocoon just immediately whirls to face you and you can see his giant slavering jaws are gnashing with force and he is pounding his fists. It is your move. You are all alone. You may not, you cannot sneak attack him again. What would you like to do? She pulls the rapier out of his back, like as he's turning around and then just immediately goes to like shove it back, like kind of up into his gut. Uh, it is, what is nine plus six? 15. That is a hit. Uh, four. All right. So yeah, you um, managed to just basically scrape him slightly again and he just bellows with rage and you can feel his hot smelly breath just wash over you uh mavari you're up i'm gonna eldritch blast him all right so you just stand back and sniping him with a magic bolt yeah awesome go ahead and give me an attack roll but i rolled a seven you rolled a natural one buddy so what is your what does your eldritch bolt look like I think it's uh like like a circle like opens up around her or her hand like she puts her hand out and a circle opens up and like tendrils come out from the edges of it and then shoot a like pale blast out of it. Cool. And it immediately that very cool looking blast shoots by him, scrapes his fur, and it smashes into the one of the globes with the water elementals and it slips out and now there's like this airborne dolphin of water sort of writhing its way across the ceiling of the room nowhere you're up okay so nowhere runs forward kind of right through the illusion that was built and i think he kind of jumps into the air and tries to land a punch right in kakum's forehead that's a 23 awesome six damage and then he follows that up the first punch strikes while he's still in the air and as he's falling, he kind of spins and does like a back of the, the closed hand to the side of his face. Uh, 17. So that's another six damage. Yeah, so I'm going to spend one key point and get two more attacks. <laughs> Excellent. This is going to be both fists punching into his gut at the same time. Uh, so that's seven damage. 
He definitely looks wounded, and you can see his spittle dripping from his mouth. On his turn, as you plant your fist into him, he completely vanishes. You can still touch him for just a moment. The the hair brushes past you as he has gone invisible. But you can still sort of hear footsteps slowly tiptoeing around. Can I kind of assume where he's moved to in like the general vicinity? You can make a perception check to see if you can figure out where he's at. Okay. I have a nine. Uh, you do not know where he is. Well, I wanted to cast Fairy Fire, which makes it so that he can't be invisible. I'm going to just kind of guess at the location that he's at then. Well, yeah, with that spell, you just have to get a 20-foot cube. I assume he hasn't like crossed over the table or anything, so he has to... In my mind, it's, it's a, a banquet hall with a very long table down the middle, right? So unless he's kind of barreled over a table, he's either gone towards the entrance or away from the entrance. Yep, it's a big room, though, so he could have also gone in like the opposite direction. So I'm going to give you a one in three chance to be able to hit him on this with a, a guess. I feel like that's pretty fair. Yeah, okay. Uh, roll a d6, and on a one or a two, you hit him. I have a six. Of course nope. you roll high that time. <laughs> that's, that's the opposite of what you want. There's an enormous cloud of fairy fire, but there is no giant hulking ape beneath it. Temerity, you are up. Can I make a perception check and try and see if I can figure out where he's at? Sure, with disadvantage. 21. You do see him, actually. Um, he looks like he's actually perched on top of the salamander statue, and you can see his powerful legs are coiling up. It looks like he's planning to leap across the room and land on somebody, either Rose or Mavari. They're not quite sure, but he's definitely looking to launch himself in that direction. And I assume that this statue is like pretty tall, so if he's up on top of it, like... I'm... Yeah, he's probably like 15 feet off the ground. I have a short bow. I would like to try and hit him with that. She kind of stands there for a minute and is listening, and he's not a small guy, so he makes a lot of noise, and she can kind of hear as he's, like, climbing up the statue, because I... And you can see the statue, like, wobble almost as he, like, throws his weight around on it. She sort of turns and looks up at the top of it and then goes to shoot an arrow at him. Awesome. You still have disadvantage on this because you, even though you know where he is... Can't actually see him. Yeah, he's still invisible, so go ahead and give me a roll with disadvantage. Um, well, unfortunately, that one was a natural 20. <laughs> I've rolled two 20s on disadvantage. It can happen. Uh, that one is a 16, so um, 22. Yeah, that is a hit. So four. Four. Um, yeah, so you stick your puny little arrow into him, <laughs> and it... You hear it like recoil in pain and there is some blood splatter that gets onto his fur. Yeah, so Mavari, you can see that there is an arrow stuck into the space hanging above the statue. 23. That is a hit. 12. You send a bolt that snags into his skin and he howls in pain. He is not looking good. Nowhere, you are up. He is quite a distance away from you. Um, you would probably have to... Yeah, I, I don't know if you'd be able to run up and like climb up and reach him, but it is your turn. So I can use a key point to basically give myself a free dash action, which also doubles my jump distance. So I think I can still get to him this turn. So nowhere seeing the arrow sticking into the air up there basically just focuses for a second and dashes and starts kind of hopping, like hops up onto the arm of the, the statue and then up to the head where Kakuma's gonna do me another strike nine 
That is a miss. Your fist impacts with his enormous meaty arm and you block it. Um, And he immediately appears in view again and he is going to try and pummel you. So actually he is going to try to hit you with his fist first and he gets a 15. Uh, That hits. I have an ability that will lower his roll. So I have what's called cutting words and I expend a bardic inspiration and he rolls a minus D8 to his roll. Uh, so that goes from, that goes to a nine. So I assume that misses you. That's, so, that's more of a miss. What yeah. does Rose do to stop him with this action? What smells like burnt monkey? And he turns to you and he does a 40 foot leap towards you. And he is going to multi-attack you, Rose. <laughs> you have two attacks coming at you. That is a 20 to hit you. Yeah, that hits. And that is a 15 to hit you. Both hit me. Do I get an opportunity attack for that? Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. So I got a 15 on that. Uh, four damage. All right, so you give him a parting blow, and it honestly looks like he is like on his last legs. Like He is slavering and bloody and bruised, but his momentum is still following through. So his fist, as he sort of like crashes down onto you, um, does 12 points of damage, and... As he has you sort of pinned under his fist, he bites into like where your neck meets your shoulder for another 12 points of damage, and you can feel your bones crunch. And he has you underneath him, but you shake him off. Rose, it is your turn. Uh, I turn invisible and run. <laughs> He's holding Rose up slightly, and what Rose does is wink, and in the process slips out of like the long coat they wear and disappears uh, invisible out of the way. And he grabs your coat and he tears it to shreds in his hands, frustrated and tosses it down. You will all die. Tamir, do you up? He's like across the room now, right? Because he ran over to the door. Yeah, he's probably like 50 feet away from you, yeah. Okay. I'm going to try and hit him with that then. Alrighty. Snap off a quick shot. Um, eight. <laughs> that is not a hit. It actually sticks into his back and then just like bounces off his hide for a moment. Mavari. Time to give him another Eldritch Blast. Second verse, same as the first. 17. That is a hit. Five. How does Mavari kill Kakum? So she does her Eldritch Blast circle and tentacles come out and shoot the pale blast. And he's like raging and like ripping the coat in half. And then like the beam just goes right through his head. And then like where it goes in, there's like tendrils coming out of it. And then he falls over. And his body just immediately turns into ash and just collapses as he completely immolates upon his death. What do you guys do? <laughs> Ow. I think it's time we leave. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I think Temerity picks up like one of the shreds of the coat and just like cleans the gunk off of her rapier and <laughs> tucks that back in and then just heads out of the room. Nowhere kind of hops down from the top of the statue. You, uh, as you walk through the main hall, you open the door again and you see a severed head roll to your feet. And it is Brenov the Incubus with his pretty face, with his head knocked from his shoulders. And you look up and you can see Zanatha, her hand gets cut from her body as Orzoth the Enslaver stands above her and just repeatedly pummels her to dust with his enormous giant mace. She looks like she is dead, um, but nobody is paying attention to you. Definitely time to escape. Yep, yep, yep. So our four heroes make their way out of the palace into the city of Brass. 
And by making sure that the demons and devils struck no pact with one another, they have saved the mortal world, at least for a little while longer. Thanks so much, guys, for playing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That was great. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more action, intrigue, and drama in your RPG podcasts, you can find Shadow of the Cabal on your podcast platform of choice. We are at SOTCPod on Twitter, and you can find our website at shadowofthecabal.com. Music used is courtesy of purple-planet.com.